Welcome to Save It for the Drive, the podcast for voices of women veterans. I'm your host and veteran, Ingrid Kennedy. Join me as I interview lady veterans from all branches of the military and eras to hear their stories, challenges, and triumphs. All right, so this week, I'm interviewing Donna Falk. She's a Air Force veteran who served from 1986 to 1991 in the career field as a crew chief. And I'm really looking forward to learning a little bit more about what you've done throughout your career and what you're doing now. So welcome to my podcast, Donna. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. So um, let's start off back in you know, what your, what your life was before you decided to enlist and, and what kind of made you decide how, what were you thinking about what was going on in your life and, and what were your reasons in joining the military? Good question. Um, I graduated in 1983 and a lot of the classmates, they, they had a plan, you know, they're going to go to college and knew what they were going to be and what college they were going to go to. And I didn't really have any plans like that at all. I didn't have any, I didn't know what I wanted to be at 18, you know. So um, I started to go to junior college um, here in Glen Ellen and um, took a couple years working on the, you know, gen eds. And I thought, you know, I, I don't know what guided me to, to enlist. Although I did, my first boyfriend was a, he was a Marine. And I don't know, like, no family members were in the military at all. No uncles or fathers or, grand, you know, any kind of talk of military um, service was never, you know, when I was growing up at all. But um, it just appealed to me. Um, I grew up in Wheaton, and I went down to the recruiting office, and I, I talked to um, the Navy, actually, first. I went into the, the Naval Recruiter's Office, and um, that didn't pan out. And then um, right across the hall was the Air Force. And um, he's... At that time, he said, you know, they're opening up a career field to women um, for uh, being a crew chief. And I thought that was amazing because I thought, well, not that I, you know, I, I could, I'm okay mechanically, but I thought, you know, this is, a, it sounds like an interesting challenge, you know. So I thought, I'm going to give this a try. And it was, you know, it was scary because, you know, I, I went on a delayed enlistment program, which I waited like 12 months to go in. But, you know, it was, it was, mm-hmm. uh, that's how I got started with it. Yeah. And um, did they, did you know fully, did you have a good understanding of what a crew chief does before you got in? Um, I think just kind of like a, just a basic uh, sort of an overview, sort of um, when I actually found out when I went to start to go to tech school and stuff, I, I um, would tell my, my parents, because an easy way to describe it is just like if you um, whatever aircraft you're assigned to, and there's, you know, the whole fleet of, of aircrafts, um, you get the plane ready for flight. And I would tell my mom or my dad, you know, it's, it's kind of like I'm a Jiffy Lube mechanic, but on a bigger scale, you know. So when the plane would come in, we, we'd be the ones that would um, taxi it in, um, you know, put the chocks on, on behind the wheels and stuff, and then check the oil, um, put the fuel on, check the tires, you know, make sure that it was uh, ready for flight uh, whenever that uh, flight happened to be again. So, um, kind of, you know, not not specifically, like, because you, you don't really know what aircraft you're going to be assigned to, but kind of a general, like, this is what you're going to be doing kind of a knowledge. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, when you get into it, then you you really understand. But, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. 
And um, how was it? How was it like going to basic training for you? Did you have? Were you prepared for your initial boot camp, or did you? Um, did your recruiters help you at all? Guide you and and what to be prepared for? Um, not really. And it's maybe that's you know on me too because I didn't really ask. I kind of went into it. I don't know, just optimistically, you know. And it, it's not, you know, there's a reason that they're doing the things that they're doing. And, it, you know, they may seem insignificant when you're actually in boot camp, but, you know, you're from the get-go, you know, it's it's very um, overwhelming, I guess, because it's all different people. You, I didn't know anybody. I didn't go in with a buddy or anything like that. So it was, you know, you're mm-hmm. on your own and, and um, you know, you, you get flown to a different state and um, then people are like, you know, right as you get off the bus that their their commands are being given to you, you know, and it's, it's unnerving initially. So, um, and at a time, it takes a little time to settle in, but when you realize, although they're telling you, you know, this is how you should make it the corners on your bed or fold your t-shirt and you think, Oh, this is so silly. But the significance is that they're trying to show you, your, you need to pay attention to detail to that, you know, degree, you know, it may seem like it's it's not significant in this situation, but, you know, when you're dealing with um, aircraft and something as simple as a bolt in a seat can, can you know, cause someone to die if they land and, you know, if they crash land or something, you know what I mean? So it's, right. it, you have to look at it. And when you, when I finally figured out, I see what they're doing and why they're doing it, it, it just clicked for me, you know, and it's, and, um, you know, it made it better, I guess, you know, but initially, you know, it's scary and you have to get used to the whole, the thing of it, but you know, there's a reason and um, yeah, mm-hmm. the experience overall. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where do you go for uh, the tech school for crew chief and, and how long is it? Um, I went to Shepard air force base in Texas. I was in Texas. Okay. And uh, let's see how long was that? It wasn't that long. I want to say maybe a month or so. I was given um, an aircraft. It was a C-141, which um, is no longer in flight. They retired that aircraft in 2006. Um, I actually, was old when I was assigned to it. Was I started working on it? It was mm-hmm. um, the first one was made in 1964. I had to look this up, but and they started uh, they delivered them to the Air Force in 1965. So that was the year I was born. So. When I started working on them in, you know, 1990 or, you know, 89, mm-hmm. um, it was, they were old then, but, um, yeah, they retired them and they were replaced them with C-17, so, but, yeah, um, yeah, it was, yeah, so, and you learn, you know, basically uh, mechanical and there's different aspects, aspects of, you know, the, the aircraft that you learn and then um, you get your base assignment. Was the, the C-141, was that more for like patients or was it for like all sorts of different things um it it probably could have been but the one the the main the main thing that i saw them use them for was uh troop uh movement they had a lot of uh they have static lines in them so they had uh the army would uh practice uh jumping out of them you know so with a lot of troops in them and then also um there's they have the capability um there'd be a they would not actually kneel because the C5 is the next bigger one up, but they have a, a, a big thing in the back that like a, and they can put uh, cars on there. I mean, it, it's a huge, huge oh, aircraft. Oh, yeah. I'm, so I think I'm thinking they, of uh, C9s. 
Because those are the oh, night. Oh. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, so, the, so they can um, put, put a lot of stuff on there and, uh, you know, bring it to different places. And that's what their main thing was for. But I, I they probably did do hospital as well. I'm sure they okay. For that. All those cargo planes, they're just like multi-purpose for everything mm-hmm. to get reconfigured. Mm-hmm. So tech school was about a month. And then do you get to choose which airframe you're going to end up at? Or was it just kind of like they put you, because it was active duty, right? Yes, mm-hmm, it was active duty. Do Did uh, you get any choice in where, like your dream sheet, where you get to go after tech school? Um, no, not, no. Uh, because there were specific bases that that was the aircraft that they had there. Um, so I'm, I'm sure you could put in, like, if I wanted to go overseas or anything like that, I, I don't remember, it's been quite a while, but, um, yeah. I got assigned, I went to California of all places. I mean, it was, it was a wonderful place to be to work on aircraft, let me tell you, because, you know, working here, like in, in Chicago or with snow and stuff, I never had to deal with de-icing in the aircraft or, and I'm grateful for that. But yeah, so I went to California and that was, that was pretty amazing in itself. Which space nice. in California were you at? I was at uh, Norton Air Force Base. It's since uh, it's closed down. It's, a, it's actually a museum, but it's in uh, San Bernardino. Uh, it's in the Inland Empire. It was a good location. When you were in tech school, did you learn other aircraft, or was it just mainly you just focus on the one, the 141? Yeah, just uh, yes, just mainly focused on that one because that that was the intention of those. Kind of generally, yes, but then specifically, um, you know, more toward that because that's where I was going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. As you progress in your career, are, is there opportunity to learn different aircraft if you, you know, were to, like, broaden your scope or anything like that? When I was in California, the only aircraft that they had um, coming in there was the 141, so that was the only opportunity there um as far as other aircraft when i um got orders to go overseas that's when i was taught i was cut trained into other aircraft because they they had a base um i was i went to spain after california and they okay. had a, a base that we shared with um spanish uh and half of it they did like f-16s on their their side and we did on ours, we did um, 141s, we did C-130s, and we did C-5s. So they sent me to Travis Air Force Base. That was in California as well. Mm-hmm. And I learned uh, uh, C-5s, which is just an amazing, huge, the biggest one that they've got. Unbelievable, the the power that it takes to get in the air, the weight and the things that this thing can hold. is just the size of a football field on the inside because I, I went one time um, – TDY and I took a hop on on a C5 once and it's just immense. It's just so big. Yeah. But yeah, that's when I had a chance to learn the other uh, aircrafts. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So after Norton, you what you were at Travis? Uh, yeah, for a short uh, few weeks while I, I learned the C5, and then mm-hmm. I got well, I got orders to go to Spain to Torrejón, Spain, <clears throat> and that was. Uh, yeah, I put in because I, you know, I was in, I was in California for about two years, I think. Yeah, about two years. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, this is nice and all, but I really could just drive in my car and live here from Illinois. You know what I mean? So I thought, 
I really want to see more than just the United States. I want to go overseas anywhere. I, I didn't, I wasn't specific about, I would have been, you know, open to anything. And um, I was lucky enough to get uh, Spain, which was an amazing, uh, amazing experience as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. How long were you in Spain? I was in Spain the rest of the time that I was in the Air Force. So it was about, I extended to go overseas about seven months. So I was in a little over two years. So it was about two years and seven months. And then I, I got out from Spain, but yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how would you describe going, um, was that your first time out of the country, out of the yes. U.S.? Yes. Mm -hmm. How did that feel like being in a whole different country <laughs> as a young person? It's, yeah, it's, you know, it's very, uh, it's eye-opening um, just to the culture, the people, you know, here I am thinking, oh, that they, they're Spanish, so they must be like, you know, Hispanic people, right? So I thought, you know, they, they speak a certain language and eat a certain, no, not at all. I mean, they completely different from what I thought, you know, these people um, did speak a different dialect. It was Spanish, but it's a different dialect of uh, Spanish, which, mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, the food is different. It's, it's completely different from what I anticipated, you know, and, and just the whole, the whole vibe of being in that country is just so relaxed. And, you know, I remember going there as an American and, and I would go to eat and mm -hmm. I, you know, I have a habit of eating so fast and everyone just, they just take hours and hours to eat, to sit around, you know, and just drink coffee and enjoy people. It was just, it was a nice, you know, view of, of different, uh, different culture altogether. It was just a very nice experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so what, what were some of the other Think responsibilities of things that you're doing as a crew chief. Did you fly? Did you have to maintain certain like number of hours, like on the planes, or? Um... Uh, I wasn't um, a flying crew chief. I know they have a dedicated flying crew chief, but I, I wasn't mm -hmm. specifically that. So I would do, um, you know, whatever aircraft came in, whenever I was working, um, the days that I would be working, we would work on, you know, whatever came in. Um, you know, refuel, get ready for flights, that type of things, and and do any repairs that need to be re um, uh, to be done at that time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, notice if anything need to be done. But I I didn't have to maintain you know I, any flying hours or anything like that. I um, I know people that you know that fly. I think you probably you flew you fly, don't you? You have to maintain um, certain amount of hours. Yeah, I so I I was trained CCAT, so it's critical care air transport. But you are not. I didn't have wings because I didn't. They're considered um, uh, like patient attendants, like but not real air crew. Oh, so I, see. I didn't. Yeah, so I see. Mm -hmm. like I could wear a flight suit, but my name patch didn't have wings on it. Gotcha. It just. <laughs> <laughs> so uh but so we'd always like laugh about it because when we would fly for like have like when CCAT flies for different missions and stuff they don't get like mandatory crew rest and and things like wow. that so like those things that are mandatory for people air crew like we would they would just um I forgot what the the word it is but uh like 
turn and burn or something, <laughs> something yeah. like that where you just kind of like you drop off your patients and you go to the next thing and and you know it's just kind of a revolving door but yeah but uh yeah but I I was I thought all crew chiefs flew so there's like land like more like the land crew crew chief mm-hmm. and then the air crew yeah. crew chiefs okay yeah and I really didn't see very many dedicated flying ones um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's because I was, I was at um, the state, you know, the base in California was just, and then the the other base was just, uh, the other planes were coming from different bases, but they didn't really have, you know, they uh, they may have, I don't really remember them being that prominent in my mind, like, there was one with everyone, you know what I mean, so I, they may have had some on some, but I, I don't remember mm-hmm. very much, but because, you know, because when they landed, we did the, the work that needed to be done on them. But and then and then there's like a different job called like load master and they're the they yeah they are the ones that like strap all the cargo in right yeah it's yeah mm-hmm. they configure and they they do the weights of and they configure all the stuff and they they do troop seats they do all there's a lot of stuff that goes yeah mm-hmm. it's a whole different department yeah yeah and so mm-hmm. like you're you are just dedicated to maintaining the aircraft like with like prepping and before Correct. and after different flights okay. Correct. Yes. Just make sure that, you know, um, we charted, uh, different things that we might've noticed, uh, that might be a problem or we, it was Red X. We had to talk to our supervisor. You Red X the airplane if something's going to be unsafe for flight and they have to, you know, make sure to, to clear that before anything is done. You know, nobody can fly it. Um, you know, make sure that the fuel gets put on and like I said, uh, the oil and the, the tires, that type of thing. Yeah. Check. Yeah. So very specific to just the maintenance of it, you know, mm-hmm. So you were saying that when you in, first enlisted, the crew chief career field was just newly open to women. Uh, yeah. According to the um, sergeant that I talked to at the air force recruiting office. Yeah. And you know, to be truthful, uh, when I was in it, I, uh, there wasn't a lot of women in it. There was only maybe just a handful of us. So hopefully mm-hmm. that's changing. I know um, hopefully more women are, are deciding to, to choose the military in general as, a, as an option for them because it's, mm-hmm. it's very re- rewarding, extremely rewarding. It's as we yeah. talked before, before we started this, it's just, uh, you know, you, you give a lot, but you get a lot, you know, and there's not just things, but also like, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of pride. You. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a like a very important job that's very needed for the mission, and um, I mean that in itself, and then just being in the military is very rewarding. I think just anytime you have that that sense of everybody's working together towards. Absolutely. A column, a common goal and, and mission, then, yeah, I think that's, that is really rewarding. Absolutely. I, I have to say, um, you reminded me of something. Uh, uh, when I uh-huh. went to Spain, um, the one thing that I noticed that I, you, you take it for granted here because you grow up, you grow up in the United States, there's flags everywhere, you know, there's flags, oh, yeah. and, you know, buildings and different, you know, people's houses and there was no American flags, except there was one on the base, of course, but, 
And I thought, my gosh, you know, I really miss seeing the flag. You know, I feel like I, I don't really belong here. It's just, it just, it's comforting to see the flag, you know? So that was, yeah, that I was like, wow, this that is... is something that's very uniquely American. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. like you walk yeah. like any uh, car dealership or, yes. I mean, yeah. not even like a government building, like Meyer or, or whatever yes. store yeah. has people's like cars, a, people's shirts. I mean, it's, it's just, a, yeah. people are proud to be an American, you know, be American. So it's, it's very obvious, you know, just, and, and you get used to it, you know? And, and I was, when I was there, the, the years that I was there, I was like, I really missed the flag. When I got home, I always made sure I had one on my house on the garage because mm-hmm. I, I was like, you know, this is a sense of pride, you know, that um, yeah. you work yeah, for, you definitely. know. Um, were there any, like, training trips or deployments or any anything, like, while you were in Europe, did you venture out um, to see any other areas or anything like that? I ventured out on my own. Uh, they um, shipped my car over there. And so I would venture out on my own. But as far as um, military training, we didn't do anything outside of that because the, there was there was another base, but it was like four hours away in Zaragoza, Spain. And mm-hmm. um, but we weren't. It's not like here where you would do joint things, you know. With maybe in other um, jobs, you you would you know do that type of thing, but not not so much there. Um, I went on a couple TDYs, but it wasn't uh, for training. It was just kind of to I went, let's try to think where I went. It was in the, when I was in the States. So, um, it, uh, it wasn't really training either though. I can't remember why they just, they needed for some reason people to go there. So I'm not sure. I can't remember why, but it was not really, um, any specific training things because they Mm -hmm. were were done in house, you know, that that type of stuff. And there wasn't really, I mean, once you, you know what you're doing and the aircraft that you're on, then it's pretty much standard, but yeah, we didn't, uh, Okay. So they, um, if you had like, like continuing, like education, it was just done on site. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And not like, you know, I know with you, you're, um, you're a nurse, right? You're a nurse. Mm -hmm. And so you have to keep up those points or the education just to keep continuing this type of thing. It wasn't, um, you know, initially, when I first got to Norton, there was uh, some modules that we had to do, just kind of um, an overall kind of thing. And I don't really remember in Spain having to do a lot in that regards, but I'm sure they had some sort of, you know, um, things to keep us current and that type of thing. But like I said, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's the same aircraft, it's the same things, unless, you know, there's something that happened, they have to make sure that everybody's aware of something, you know, that to be yeah. aware of or whatever, so. When did you make the decision to get out of the military and how was that? Were you just kind of like, was your enlistment up and, and you just decided that you were done with it or, or how did that all happen? Um, it was in Spain and um, before Desert Storm started, uh, they started with Desert Shield. And that, so they ha- hadn't really done anything yet. There was just kind of a buildup. And um, a lot of things changed. Um, uh, we were, uh, in Spain, we were a, um, an FOB, a forward operating base. So we okay. would just have a plane or two at a time, you know, maybe 
during the week, hardly, you know, any, when this happened, we had to set up, um, cots in the air, uh, in the airplane hangers, which was, they're enormous. So, and, and everything is very, um, at a level that they can't really say anything what's going on. They had to say, you know, this is what we're doing. We have to do this. But then we had a lot more aircraft and a lot more manpower from different bases. And it was very scary because, um, to the, those aircraft, the ones that I work on specifically are not fast and they're full of fuel. And yeah. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. I, I remember the threat was that Saddam Hussein had uh, weapons of mass destruction. That was the threat. Yeah. And so yeah. the very first plane that I was taxing out, um, meaning that I was, I was waving the paddles and saluting the crew. Uh-huh. I thought, and they were, they were flying to Bahrain and they had, you know, full aircraft of fuel and, troops and equipment and everything and I thought these people might die you know yeah. because yeah. we we didn't know yeah so, I know it was it was a hard time for everybody because it like the whole time I was in the service it was it was um, you know it was amazing and and it, but it wasn't like and I realized you know I know that they can say, you know, I need to go to bar and I need to go wherever they send me, I need to go. But it just got to be too much for me, I think. And I just decided that I needed to um, end my my time yeah. there. So when my enlistment came up, I um, decided not to, to join up because it, yeah, it just, it, it just, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, it just was very intense. 12 hour shifts, it was just very yep. um, demanding, grueling, very, and, and, you know, so far away from home. And, and, you know, I know, you know, I know people there, I work with people, but it's, it's not like I have any family there, you know, so it was very isolating to me. And so mm-hmm. it was, it was time. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It was kind of an interesting time, uh, like 86 to 91. Cause we kind of went, we were in this like cold war era Mm-hmm. And then, and then Desert yep. Shield and, and Desert Storm happened. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that was, um, that must've been like a big shift in operations and, and that, at that time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It yeah. just was, and to see how well organized the machine that the military is, is it's amazing, but it's, all, it's also very intimidating. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is. This is, I know this is real and I knew it was real all along, but this is really real. Like people are going to die, you know, and that, mm-hmm. that was the part that was like, just, yeah, just, yeah. especially, you know, when you're talking to people and, you know, before they go on the aircraft and stuff and it's just like, my gosh, you know, that everybody's brave. Everybody's just so brave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they're, they're probably all equally scared but you know they're just doing it you know because that's we're all the mission yeah the mission and we're all supporting each other and true yeah 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 that's that's kind of it's got to be tough being the one you know saluting the the crew as they go off 
yeah, because like I said, it, you know, it was it was the first wave of, of uh, equipment and that type of thing to go over, and mm-hmm. it was it was uncharted territory, so it was kind of like, will they be bombed out of the sky? And and like I said, they're just a huge moving target of fuel, and and yeah, yeah, and it's just you know, well, I used to think missed. about that. <laughs> riding around on the refuelers like we're a big gas station in the yes. air Absolutely. and uh, yeah, yeah I mean it's just you, you never know I mean mm-hmm. um yeah. what what could happen but because you're mm-hmm. out there did you guys have mm-hmm. back at that time did they do like um the three level and five level like you kind of work your way up the enlistment ranks like with your skill level and that um, no, uh, when I, I went in cause I, I had the, uh, junior college. I had a couple of years of junior college. So I went in with two stripes. Um, oh, okay. and then when time came, uh, when I was in at Norton, you could go, I don't know if they have this still today, but you could go below the zone, which. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah so I went, I went that. below the zone and I got my. Um, sergeants, uh, my next stripe, mm-hmm. and then yeah. So as far as the like working toward it, I, and then the next would have been a test. I believe it, it's a written test for the next ranks, if I'm not mistaken. But I, mm-hmm. I didn't stay in any of that. So or like um <laughs> like the NCO Academy was yes. that like Although, uh to actually, be yeah they yeah they did send me. They did send me. There was one. Um, where was that? I believe was that in Spain. I think it was in Spain, maybe before any of that started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they sent me to yeah, just to kind of get you ready for um, NCO. Is, are, is there any advice that you would give to somebody if they were thinking about joining the military? What would you say? I would say. Just uh, check out your options. Go with your gut. You know, just um, talk to the different. If you don't know which um, branch of the service, you know, talk to the, talk to all of them. You know, they're all in the same office usually, in the same building rather. Yeah. And and see uh, what exactly they have to offer. I know that um, one of the uh, things that that I was given as well um, was uh, money for school afterwards which, you know, take advantage of, and, and that's, it's huge, because college is expensive, you know, and it's, so you get that money, mm-hmm. and, and um, um, I was just going to say, hopefully, you, you decide to do it, though, because, you know, it's, it's scary, and, you know, it's, it's just an amazing, it's an amazing experience, you know, and, and there's a lot, a lot of richness in it, before, during, and even after, like um, we talked before the, the broadcast here, but, um, you know, even today, you know, there's there's groups that you can join and stuff like that. And I'm still a part of, you know, the VA and the VFW and American Legion, that type of thing. It's just, it's still, there's still people everywhere. I mean, it just, you know, you see a lot of people, you'd be out in the middle of a, a town and something, and people will have a hat on or something, you know, let's, let's say they're in the military or something like that. So it's, it's a, it's a good experience, but, um, yeah, I, I really, you know, hopefully you do it. You know, that's that's the big part is just going in and, and finding out, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And wh- one of the things you said that I think is a lot of people don't know 
is that you can come in at a higher rank if you have some college experience yeah, or some college. Absolutely. And then if you have an Eagle Scout, uh, if you're Eagle Scout, or I remember I was in Civil Air Patrol in high school. And if you got up to like, there's like a, a, a spots award, which uh, is kind of like similar to like a level as like an Eagle Scout that you work your way up to. And that would count for extra rank. Cause when I enlisted, I mean, I didn't get up to that level and when I enlisted, but I, you know, had no, no stripes at all. It was just like, Mm -hmm. you know, nothing like a E1 and, or, um, and then you just kind of, uh, make your way up, but it's, it is, Mm -hmm. it, it gives you a little bit more confidence when you get a couple of stripes at the end of basic training. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was it's a nice thing. And, and you, you know, you get more money, which is nice as well, but you know, yeah. And, and you know, it depends on, you know, if you want to go to school for the two years or get, you know, four year. I mean, and you could go in as an officer. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities education could offer you as well. You know I mean? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. all worth checking out, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, you were mentioning about some of the organizations and different things that you're doing now. Um, and I know you from, the American Legion and Mm -hmm. and community, but are you, um, uh, are you involved in any other veteran organizations or doing any, anything like that? Uh, No, it's, it's nice. I just recently actually just this past May uh, joined the American Legion. I just never thought about it that I don't know why it never occurred to me, but it's the best a source of knowledge as far as what's going on in the area for veterans, uh, what's available, uh, different parades. We were in a parade and, you know, that mm-hmm. type of thing is, it's very nice to, um, you know, but that's the only thing so far. Um, and then if they, you know, suggest something like the honor flight, um, they have people that go and they, they um, greet the people when they come back or the, the veterans that come back from overseas, which I think, oh, that's amazing. You know, like the, the people, yeah. especially the people now that are, are um, going on the honor flights uh, that were in Vietnam. I think, oh my gosh, that's amazing. They should have had this recognition years ago, but I know, I'm so glad that, yeah. um, you know, that they're able to do it now. So all that stuff, you know, it just um, makes you feel like you're part of this community still. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's supporting yeah. other people or, you know, just to feel part of it. So it's nice. Yeah. I just sent out a letter for one of our guys that it's going on an honor flight. You know how they have the mail call? Um, oh yes, yeah. So, yes, yeah. I'm the mail one as well. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. I just yes, think fully. it's so. I know. Um, I know you mostly go to the American Legion stuff, mm-hmm. but I was at um one of our VFW meetings, and one of there was like another um one of our other vets just came back, and he he went on and on about the the mail <laughs> about mm-hmm. how much mail he got. And he said, I think he didn't know he wasn't expecting it and what they do. And, um, I fortunately know because I got to be like a chaper, uh, guardian on an honor flight before, which was really an amazing experience. So I got, Mm -hmm. um, hooked up with a Korean war vet Milton and he was amazing. (laughs) And and we were Mm -hmm. really, we, we stayed in touch in that until he passed away. 
a couple years back, but, um, mm. but it was just like an amazing experience for both of us. And yes. on the flight home, we, um, they handed out bags of mail for all the, the veterans on the flight. And, mm-hmm. and it's just like, you know, there's people for, like mail from people, you know, and then, you know, mm-hmm. students at school, like all sorts, like all sorts of mail. And, um, so this mm-hmm. guy at our post, he was just like, he got choked up. He got really emotional yeah. talking about it. He's like, I'm so grateful for everything. And, and, you know, it was just, and especially for those Vietnam vets, they just did not get a no. real welcome at all. At and, all. Yeah, they were ashamed. Just, yeah, it was, yeah. it was horrible. So, yes. um, so I feel like we're finally making it right after all these years, you know, they're, yeah. they're trying to do more and more and, and for that group. So thank goodness. I have to say about the mail when I was in basic training, that was the one thing that I don't know how to do it now, but when I was in there in 1986, mm-hmm. um, that was such a, a, a treasure for me to yeah. get mail. You know, yes, it was just, yeah. it could have been anything. It could have been, you know, the weather here or just what's going on or, you know, just didn't matter. But it was like, it's getting a letter. It's, it just meant so much to me. I thought it's got to be that way for those people on those honor flights as well. You know, it's yeah, just, it's, yeah, it's such a, a nice comfort. feeling. You know? mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You're not alone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. The, the times in, it's just like a whole different environment that you not used to become a civilian world to mm-hmm. get into your life and it's, it's it's just like a shock you know it's very, yeah. Yeah. very much a culture shock and you're just under mm-hmm. that stress response the whole time and just to get yeah. have a little bit of home is so comforting so yeah it's yeah, absolutely yeah it was like a, a lifeline to to what was familiar, you know, to, to this new life that's so unfamiliar and you know, can mm-hmm. be kind of rocking up predictable, but, you know, necessary. Oh, I have another yeah. question for you. Um, mm-hmm. So do, do crew chiefs get nicknames like pilots do? Um, no, not that I was aware of. Not uh, really? We get assigned, no, we did get assigned aircraft, though, and um, it didn't, you know, I don't know what the criteria was, but actually toward the end of my time in uh, California, I got assigned a uh, aircraft, which, you know, was pretty cool because you got your name on the side of it. Yeah, that is cool. And I, I heard, I mean, I don't know how this is for other bases, but I know that our crew chief would do, like, decide on, like, the nose art on the aircraft. Uh Uh-huh. I'm sorry, I missed what you said. Oh, that the the crew chiefs can um, they design the the nose art for the plane? Oh, oh, yeah. No, on the the ones that I was at, it was just a, they just did it as you walk into the door. You know, go you go up the ladder there, right? Uh-huh. It was right there on the right hand side. It just you know, Sergeant Hoppy, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah that's I was awesome. Like, oh, look at that. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Huh. Any? Do you have any other stories you want to talk about? Um, not anything to come to mind. It's just, um, I would do it again in a minute, in, in a minute. I would do it. 
you know, because it, it was just, like I said, it was just, it's, it was an amazing experience. And still, you know, I got to go to Spain and live there for two and a half years. And, you know, my car was there and I got to drive all over the, I mean, it, you you got to do so many things, you know, mm-hmm. you're in the yeah. military. Yes. You know what I mean? You have to, you know, follow the rules and, you know, wear the clothes and, you know, the, the uniform and that type of thing. But there, you have a lot of freedom to um, explore and to see things you've never seen and do things you've never done and stuff. And it's an opportunity that, you know, yeah. um, I'm really glad I took it. Have you ever gone back to Spain as a civilian since you got out? Not yet. Yet. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. I would like to travel, though, more um, in Europe see more countries although mm-hmm. um yeah i did go to barcelona uh, that's where the they shipped the car and um so i went to bit barcelona on the train to pick it up but um it's a beautiful country yeah yeah awesome yeah. well one of the other things that i i like to ask people that i interview is tell me um something that you're doing for yourself for self-care nowadays i know you're kind of telling me a little bit about like doing yoga and stuff, but um, mm-hmm. anything you want to add? Because I always like to, for, I like to know for myself, and I think it's important for us to kind of Absolutely. think about taking care Absolutely. of ourselves. Yeah. Um, the, the VA has amazing resources, and I've been um, just actually recently, two weeks ago, started a mindfulness-based stress reduction program which is pretty mm-hmm. intensive, but it, it's amazing. But, um, you, you know, to be offered that, uh, to, to learn how to be more mindful about everyday things, you know, and it's, it's a slow process, but it's, it's very necessary in, in what, today's world, you know? Yeah. What yeah. do they, what are some of the like methods that they teach you? Um, we do, uh, like a full body scan. Um, we we're, we're trying to look at things and do things more mindfully. Like we had, um, uh, we like eating, you know, people, when they eat, they just eat, eat, you know, and it's, it's over with, they don't taste their food. They don't slow down. It's just about slowing down. And we took out a raisin and, you know, we, we looked at, you know, just to look at it, to touch it and just, you know, to think about eating it and then just to slowly eat it, you know, put it in your mouth, don't chew it, that type of thing. It was just like a slow process, but, when you, if you think about when you eat something, you know, that simple, you just, you don't really think about all these different things. Like how, how does this taste? How does this feel in my mouth? You know, you just kind of eat cause you're hungry. You know what I mean? But just, and there's so many as- aspects of, of life that you, you know, you could just slow down a little bit and, and take notice, yeah. you know, cause everything you, nowadays you just kind of do an autopilot, you know, just. You know, you're you're in the car, you're racing to get somewhere, you you're maybe late. You know, what I mean, it's, everything is a hurry, hurry. But if you just slow down and like look around, you notice more things and you appreciate. I, uh, as you know, I'm appreciating more things and yeah, it's nice. Yeah, kind of like uh, the people in Spain at the restaurants. Absolutely, the lo- yeah. The locals. <laughs> Absolutely. I was. I, I remember thinking these people have to hurry up, you know, like, why are they eating so slow? I, I thought that was, but I totally get it. And then they would close everything too. Like it, you know, Oh, you know, siesta time. Take, yes. Yes. And I was like, there's nothing open for two hours. Well, I get it. Cause they stay up in the evenings and they eat, you know, nine, 10, 11 at night, you know, with their children out running around. I thought this is so 
crazy to me, but it was, mm-hmm. it's such a nice, it was such a nice atmosphere too. Once you get out of the mindset of hurry up, we got to go somewhere. You know what I mean? It's just take it easy, you know, enjoy your life. It just yeah. goes so fast. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Donna, thank you so much for interviewing with me. It's been really interesting to hear all about your career and the places that you've been and got to do. And um, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the leap <laughs> and interviewing with me. Thank you so much. I just want to um, say that I, um, we talked a little bit beforehand, but I, I was thinking, you know, I, I wanted people to know my experience. And I appreciate that you asked me, you know, I, I'm thankful to you for asking me for it, but I, I thought, you know, I need to have a better story. And I thought, well, maybe mine isn't worth telling, but I got advice from my son. Yeah. And he said, you know, tell it. So, mm-hmm. That, um, tell them it. Oh, so it, it feels good. Thank, thank you for asking me for for doing this. Oh, I, I, yeah. Like thank I said, it's an honor. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure your son wants to hear all your stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm grateful. I'm grateful, and I hope um people look into the military. You know, because it's it, it it's an option. You know, really, it, it's a it's a good way of life I think mm-hmm. you know? yeah good experience yeah, yeah. I agree <laughs> all right thanks so much thanks take care Donna you too well thank you so much for listening and I appreciate any feedback if you are a lady veteran and would like to be interviewed you can reach out through my website saveitforthedrive.com. You can get this podcast through the website, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcast. Always remember everyone deployed. And whenever you have a great story to tell, remember to save it for the drive.